Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. We are taught from the time we are little kids, as we get started in school, that it's important for us to have goals, set goals, and then aim toward them and to begin to measure how effective we are. Most people set financial goals, professional goals, educational goals that they hope to reach by various points in their lives. It's a good thing. If you haven't yet started doing that, I highly encourage you to do so. But I have a question for you this morning. Do you have a goal for the caliber of person you want to become? What caliber of person is it that you hope to be by the end of your life? Is it the person that you are right now, today? We were talking about uh, the caliber of person that you hope to become. Are you a finished project? Right now, you, your characters, this who you want to be at the end of your days on earth? Do you have in mind the kind of picture that you hope to become? When, when it comes down to the content of your character, are you pleased enough with who you are today that that'll get you through the rest of your life? Or do you hope in any number of ways to somehow become more over time? Do you ever think about these things? I do. I'm an introspective person, so I think about these things a lot. And when I reflect on the person that I was when Laura agreed to marry me, and I then look at who I am today, I can see that I have grown and changed. And she's not here, or I'm sure there would have been this really loud amen from right over here today. So it was implied. Yeah. Um, I think that she has a much better husband than she used to have. And I think that the Purcell kids have a better dad than they used to have when I first got started doing this as well. My relationship with God certainly has some dimension to it that it simply didn't have 20 years ago. And I'm excited about that too. But when I consider who I am today, whether it is the husband, the father, the pastor, the friend, or the son of God, I know this, I am not yet who I want to be. I am who I am today by the grace of God. I'm not what I used to be, but I am not yet who and what I want to be. Jesus said that one day he is going to return for his followers. Uh, That will be an incredible spectacle, I think. And should I live that long, I hope that I will have become by that day the kind of man that he dreamed I would be when he dreamed me up a long time ago. Should I die before his return, my hope is the same, that by the end of my days, I will be the person that God hoped I would become when he made me. And I have realized, when I think about the caliber of person that I want to be when I come to the end of this life, uh, well, I got some work to do. And I'm going to invite the Lord into that process with me. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul mentions briefly this business of the return of Christ. In his other letters, he gives us a far more detailed and developed picture of what that day might be like. He mentions specifically that on the day of Christ's return, there will also be the resurrection of the dead, and that all who believe in Jesus will at that point be gathered to him and go to be with him forever in a place that we refer to as heaven. Now, it wasn't just Paul that said that. Jesus said it about himself as well. But in Paul's brief mention of Jesus' return in Colossians, he also tells us that on that day, you and I are going to make an appearance. Jesus is going to make an appearance. You and I are going to make an appearance. The question is, how are you going to appear on that day? Does it even matter? 
Paul seemed to think that it did, so he addressed this matter in his letter to the Jesus people who lived in Colossae, Turkey. Let's take a look at it today and see what he had to say about it. Please stand with me, if you would, in honor of the reading of the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its old practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. This is the word of the Lord. So how are you going to appear on that day? Do you know yet? You get to choose how it is that you are going to appear on the day of Christ's return. So what are you going to choose and what are you going to do about it between now and then so that you become the person that you believe God dreamed you would be? Before we take a look at how Paul told us to prepare for that day, I want to deal with a little bit of a language issue that might be of some help to us. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. In the popular Christian writing, and especially songwriting of the 1800s and the early 1900s, it became popular in America to substitute the word glory for the word heaven. So you saw in a lot of um, gospel songs, people talking about going to heaven, but instead of saying heaven, they would say they would go up to glory, or they would go over into the glory land. So uh, that language got used consistently enough that it really became the primary meaning for the phrase in glory to most American Christians. This is one of those instances in which Um, people with no Christian background might have a better shot at understanding the Bible than the people who grew up in the church do. In the case of verse 4, it's important to note that Paul isn't using the phrase in glory to mean in heaven, because that use wasn't known in Paul's day. Instead, that verse is saying that when Christ returns, we will appear with him. But it's not saying we will appear with him in heaven. It's teaching us something about what is supposed to happen to our character between now and then so that when he appears, we will appear as glorious beings with him. Instead of it telling us uh, where we are going to appear with him one day, it's telling us how we will appear with him on that day. 
And the verses that follow it then teach us about what I like to call the Christian character project. The Christian character project. Christian character project is the process by which we become the people that we hope to be by the end of our lives. It has two stages. And Paul describes it as taking some things off and then putting some things on, as though he were talking about simply changing his clothes. Isn't it interesting how clothing shapes the way that we perceive other people or are perceived by them? I'm pretty conscious of that in my line of work. In my childhood years in the Church of the Nazarene in southern Missouri, uh, one day a woman came into our church, clean, um, well-groomed, but wearing pants. Nobody spoke to her that day, but I sure heard plenty of people speak about her. What kind of a woman would wear pants to church? I figured the answer to that is Pentecostal, but um, that was not what the people in my church thought. Um, Because, you know, all the good Christians were going to wear dresses, ladies. Uh, That that happened behind her back left a lasting impression on me, and it very definitely was not a good one. When I was in seminary, preparing to become a pastor, one of our professors advised us that if we were going to work in the inner city, we should all start wearing clerical collars because it would shape the way that, that people perceived you immediately and, and treated you in the long run. Plus, he added this one little benefit. It might keep you from getting shot. Some guys bought some collars that day. When I first began serving as an associate pastor in a little town uh, where Paul Clark is now the pastor, Connell, Washington, I was required, underline that word, by my senior pastor to wear a dark suit and tie on Sundays and professional dress the rest of the week, which meant that I could probably on weekdays lose the coat and sometimes the necktie, but otherwise I had to be squared away in what was clearly considered professional dress. The problem is, uh, I served in a farming community. One day, uh, on my day off, one week on my day off, I, I went into the office to fill out a, uh, an expense report. And since I was just ducking in there for a minute, I just went in my jeans and my polo shirt. And I sat in there at my desk working on this expense report. And a man from my church went down the hall. And when he went past my office, he did the double take. And then he backed up and he walked in and he sat down in the chair across my office from me and he poured out the the weight and the hurts of his heart. Now I listened. We talked about it a little bit. I prayed for him and he got up and he left. The next week, sometime on, on a work day, he goes down the hall past my office and saw me and just kept walking. And I called his name and he came back and he said, what? I said, well, You looked like you wanted to talk. What's the deal? And he came in and he sat down, and I could tell he was was really not wanting to say what he was about to say to me. He said, last week you were approachable, and today you're not. Because last week you looked like me. But I think your necktie is a power move. So I took my necktie off, and we had a long talk that day, and I prayed with him, and he went on his way. I purposed in my heart that day, that I'd wear a coat and tie when the situation truly required it, and otherwise, I would live among the people as one of them. Because I was born a common man, 
and I was raised one, and I think I'm probably always going to be one. Don't worry, at your wedding and your funeral, I'll pull out the necktie. I'll wear them for Marion and Barion. Okay? I know that this uh, shapes the way some people think of me when it comes to their first impressions. I'm willing to live with that, the negative side of it. Positive side's all good. And for those who uh, form a negative impression of me because my shirt's untucked, I just figure maybe over time the content of my character will say something to you about who I am. Let that shape the way people think of me. Paul talked about Christian character. The Christian character project is getting undressed and getting dressed again. Disrobing to get rid of some things that no longer belong on or in us and reclothing ourselves with other things. Not as a way of shaping the opinions of others primarily. Instead, he says, this is all about one thing. It's all about understanding that you have, be, you have been united with Christ. Because something happened in your heart that married your spirit up with his spirit. Up with his spirit, there is now a new reality that shapes the inward and the outward part of you. Over time, the business of the formation of your character most definitely will affect the way that people look at you. But the first impressions thing, hmm, Paul said, that might be hidden with Christ in God for a while. When I stood here before you a week ago, I preached about a passage from uh, Colossians chapter 2 about the need to receive Jesus Christ as Lord, to really fully surrender our lives to him. And about 30, 40 of you at the end of the service said, that's the prayer that I prayed today. And two of you came right down here and as a a, uh, testimony, a confession of your faith, you were baptized in front of your congregation. It was one of the most beautiful days that I have spent as your pastor I didn't have a coat on when it happened. But I think in that process, some of you were taking off some things and you were putting on some things. Many of you made a decision to fully surrender your lives to him. And so this list that I'm going to talk about in these next few minutes is going to help you to more fully understand what it means now to be risen with Christ, as Paul put it, and having a lifestyle that emerges from the character of your heart. Let's look first at the undressing, so to speak. Please, um, Facebook quote me in context, okay? There are some things that are common to adult life prior to commitment to Jesus. And if you're not one of his followers, these things come rather naturally. And so they are a part of most people's lives who do not know Jesus at varying levels. The list that Paul mentions is not exhaustive, but it includes sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. It's a long list. I don't need to defend those things or uh, define those things for you, but let's take a look at the broad categories for just a minute. Indulgent sexuality, okay? Indulgent sexuality without holy relationship protections leaves lasting wounds for people whose hearts get broken. It's left millions, count them, millions of children in this country without fathers. And I can tell you from personal experience, there isn't one kid ever who benefited by that. It's also given rise to countless diseases. We make up new diseases by indulging in sexuality without holy relationship protections. And so Paul said, 
be a good idea to be done with that. In a completely different category, think about this. Nobody ever complimented their neighbor saying, man, I love that guy. He's so greedy. Nobody ever intends it as a compliment, right? Man, I love that guy. He's so greedy. Because that's another one of those deep desires that fulfills itself at the expense of other people. Anger, rage, malice, slander, those things, they're always aimed at other people like a weapon, and they always hurt the people that they're aimed at. They do their destructive work, how? By you and I simply refusing to apply some self-discipline when we're feeling a little bit mm, and less than noble toward other people. Filthy language, the only point of it is what? To offend or rebel. Why did any little kid ever start using foul language? Because he wasn't supposed to. Made him feel tough, right? Or to intentionally offend people. So Paul says, you know, as an adult, you should probably be past that, maybe, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Lying makes relationship impossible because it erodes trust, so that one clearly gets thrown uh, out. And, And Paul addressed this kind of living in two ways. First, he said, look at that long list of things that don't belong in your life, and you need to give them the death penalty, okay? Just like that, and they need to be done. They don't belong in your life. Then he picked up this other metaphor, the one we were working with earlier, and he said, if you've got those things wrapped around you, that's all that people are going to be able to see. So get rid of those hideous, filthy rags those, that you've clothed yourself with because God has something far better for you. And with that, he then teaches us what it is that we're supposed to put on as the followers of Jesus. The Christian Character Project isn't just trying to keep from doing bad things. It also includes making a willful decision to actively develop certain qualities in your heart and certain qualities in your mind. Again, Paul's list in this passage is far from exhaustive, but he makes a pretty good start at it. Think of it this way. Would you want your neighbor to become the kind of person that Paul describes in this list? Just being honest, that was a trick question because every one of us ought to uh, work at becoming the kind of people that we would like for our neighbors to be, right? You want your neighbors to be honest? Maybe you should become honest. Want your, your neighbors to be a little less cantankerous? Maybe we could work at becoming that ourselves, right? Um, here's the list. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love. What I find interesting about this list, we had the, the, the negative list earlier, we just said, get rid of those things. But what I find interesting about the list that we're supposed to put on is that every single one of these character qualities is about our relationships with other human beings. Check it out. You cannot have compassion in general. You have to show compassion toward hurting people or you don't have any. You can't be kind in general, kind at heart, but rude and mean-spirited when you deal with people or you're not kind. Humility is always about understanding who we are in relationship to God or in relationship to other people and not considering ourselves to be more important or better than Gentleness is about how we treat people. Do we use power against them? Or do we temper our power with kindness and use only enough power to get the good done? That's the definition of gentleness. Patience. I suppose patience could mean how we relate to frustrating circumstances, but but set in the context of these other character qualities, I think it's pretty obvious that Paul was calling for us to treat people with understanding, understanding this, that people need time to change. 
Listen, people can change. It's just that almost nobody does it like that. Change happens in people's lives over time under the influence of the Holy Spirit and of the other people in our lives. And patience means understanding that people need time to change, and in the meantime, until they are the people that we imagined they ought to be, we treat them with kindness, we grant it with good hearts. Forbearance and forgiveness, I think, are two sides of the same coin. Forbearance means putting up with people. Man, that's a spiritual gift. I need that one, don't you? Forbearance, just learning to put up with people. There's a certain amount of maturity that's just putting up with people. I don't know if anybody ever told you this, but not everybody in this world is concerned with pleasing you or me. There are people who spend whole days at a time without ever thinking about what makes Cliff happy. Can you believe it? Forbearance means putting up with people, but doing it in such a way that doesn't make it seem like we're only putting up with people. It means putting up with people who annoy us or anger us and doing it with a good attitude. Yep, and we all know that we need God's help with that, right? I might be able to do the putting up part. It's a good attitude part where I'm going to need God's help. You know what forgiveness means. Don't need to talk about that. But when you put all of those things together, Paul teaches us that the Christian character project isn't about theoretical morality. It isn't about a a list of things that you don't do. Instead, Paul teaches us that the Christian character project is first and foremost about learning to treat people well and on a consistent basis. Some people will wait to see what they become. Wait and see is some people's approach to life. And while the argument certainly could be made that the Bible teaches the business of waiting as a virtue when it comes to seeking God's answers or coming to understand God's timing, it teaches us the exact opposite when it comes to the Christian character project. When it comes to waiting on God's answer and God's timing, the scriptures say, wait. When it comes to Christian character, the scriptures say, don't wait. It teaches decisiveness, action, bold moves in the direction of becoming the person that God dreamed you could be. Paul put it in terms of getting dressed. It's a a process. You can't just snap your fingers and find yourself, boom, instantly fully clothed. But getting dressed doesn't take all day either. Paul said it was similar to putting on a shirt. Decide to do it and then do it. Decide to do it, and then accomplish it. It requires some action on your part, on my part. Not just a wish or a prayer. It's similar in that way to getting dressed. Don't merely wish you were dressed and then walk outside. Because the neighbors will report you, and they will quit making eye contact at community functions. Okay? Look at your character weaknesses, identify an action that would embody good character in that area, and then just do it once a day, every day, until that thing becomes a part of the real you. For some of us, it means little adjustments. For some, it means making bold, sweeping changes, which can be difficult. But for the life of me, I cannot find a single instance in the scripture where God says, you know, if doing the right thing's hard, just don't bother there's, there's a lot of this, uh, this Christian life that is like walking uphill. It takes some effort. Here's what I'm driving at. The Christian character project will never be accomplished if you take a wait-and-see approach. I wonder what kind of a person I'm going to become. 
When it comes to character, those who wait and see what kind of people they will become will eventually see they're exactly who they used to be. Never changed at all. What caliber of person do you want to be? What kind of person do you want to become? In Colossians 3, Paul teaches us that when we understand the immensity of what happened to us when we surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Jesus, becoming literally one with him, he says when we realize that, we will find power for real and lasting personal change. We can start longing for some heavenly kind of things to become true of us, of us. We can win in our battles against sexual temptation. We can quit using anger to hurt and control other people. We can even control our mouths. Can you believe it? Additionally, we can be good people who are good to people and who are good at relationships. Who doesn't want that, huh? We can become the kind of neighbors we wish we had. How? It's by setting our hearts and our affections on these things and then beginning to to take action. Over time, you'll find that if you have your heart set and your mind set on the same thing, that you are going to to, uh, achieve or receive those things. In the short term, it may not change you much. And the things that are happening in your heart may remain hidden from human eyes for a while. And that's what Paul was talking about when he said, that old kind of person that you were, he or she died. And the real you that is, that is emerging as, as person who, who reflects the very character of God, for now that's hidden with Christ in God. But there is going to come a day when Christ himself will make an appearance and our true lives, which now are hidden with Christ in God, will one day make an appearance with Christ. And if we engage in the Christian character project between then and now, when the big reveal happens, guess who's gonna look glorious? It's not just Jesus. It's you and me. The word glorious, it means like God and worthy of some applause. You, glorious, glorious, while standing next to Jesus at his return, you will look glorious. That's a pretty bold transformation, I think. Man, I want to see the glorious version of Cliff, don't you? You want to see the glorious version of you? It's never going to happen if we take a wait and see about what sort of persons we will become. But if by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, we decide that the old things need to go and there's some new things that aren't yet true of us that we need to put on like a, like a, a shirt that doesn't quite fit us very well yet, but you know, it'll break in over time. With the help of God's Holy Spirit, I can't say that often enough, you're going to find that your character becomes like that of Christ himself. And maybe well before his return, people look at you and say, that's the kind of person I want to be. They probably won't use the word glorious because they're not, you know, religion nerds like us. But they're going to look at us and say, man, that that guy, that lady, they're the kind of people that, that I want to be. As we close today, I'm going to ask God to show me one thing about my character that needs to be taken off and put to death. And then I'm going to ask him to show me what to put on in its place. 
because I am not yet the person that I want to be at the end of my life. And if you are not yet who you hope to become, then I invite you to join me in this prayer. It's a simple message, Lord, that since we are risen, connected with you, there's some changes that just have to happen on the inside and then manifest themselves on the outside. I'll admit, as I read the lists, there wasn't anything on there that surprised me. There was nothing on the list of evil behaviors that I thought, huh, I thought God liked that one. There wasn't anything on the, on the list of character qualities where I thought, oh, I thought that one was evil. No surprises here. Just this very clear call that comes from an understanding that now we are no longer who we used to be because we have become connected with you, holy God. I'll bet as we looked at the list, there were people who said, I've been trying to stop doing that thing for years, and I'm powerless against it. And I thank you that you have helped them to understand the truth. That human change isn't ever done simply by human power. It's by us joining with you and calling upon the help that you make available. Your spirit living within us. Lord, I'm going to uh, get silent for a moment. And I'm going to ask you to show me something that needs to be done away with in my life. Put aside forever. And maybe some of my friends are praying that prayer too. Would you please not leave us hanging or guessing? Speak to us. We listen for your voice. Hmm. Well, that sure didn't take long, Lord. (laughs) Maybe there's a longer list. We'll get to those another day. But this first thing that you have mentioned, Lord, I'm making a decision right now to give that thing the death penalty and to take it off like last year's fashions. doesn't belong on me anymore. What is there room for in my life now? What would you like to see me put on? Maybe my friends are praying that prayer. We listen for your voice. Lord, I'm going to need your help with that project. I set my heart and my mind on these things. But I'm quite aware of my weaknesses. I'm going to need your help. There's many people who are asking for your help, confessing their need for it today. I pray you'd answer our prayers with an affirmative and with your constant presence. Sometimes, Lord, I pray, hasten the day of your return. The world's messy. Sometimes I don't much enjoy living in it. At other times, I think, oh, there's too much left to do. Lord, don't come back yet. (laughs) And who knows? Maybe maybe I will have breathed my last long before your promised return. But however it is that the end of my days on earth comes, I pray that when that time comes, I will be like you and will be seen as glorious. Not because I want a share of your glory. I want all of that to go to you. I just want to be like you. So I welcome your work in my life. My friends do the same. I give you thanks that you've promised to do what you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, my friends, thank you very much for 
listening patiently today, for actively participating with us in, in worshiping the God that we believe is worthy of public affirmation and uh, acclaim. You gave God the, uh, the high five and the pat on the back today by the way that you sang about him. I pray that you will find the words of scripture um, that you need to hear rolling through your minds again and again this week. And if um, um, some of my words need to be forgotten, I'm good with that too. But would you take what the Holy Spirit gives you this week, make it your own, then you may know his peace and you will find his transformation. Uh, I'll pray it for you. You pray it for me, okay? Grace and peace to you. You are dismissed.